Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. Lovely to have you back again with us. It is episode 15. How very exciting. How are you, Martin? What have you been up to? I've been putting together some new workshops that I'm delivering for uh, businesses to help them get started on using ChatGPT. Turns out there was a bit of demand for that and people wanted to know, how do I just get started? What can I do with this tool? So a lot of chatter and as much as we might be thinking everybody is using this already, actually quite a lot of people just need a bit of a leg up. So uh, yeah, that's me. How about you? What have you been up to? I have been out and about this last week. I was at SAMPS, which is Sales and Marketing Professionals in Science. It's a sort of networking community for those people, of which I am one. Um, and they, these days, run really great events for sales and marketing people in the life sciences. And I was presenting at their event in Glasgow this week, and the topic was AI. And we were talking about all the different applications of ChatGPT. We did some really great stuff and had a lot of fun with MidJourney. I was very lucky. I met some incredibly smart people who themselves are doing some awesome things with AI. So I learned loads from that. But I also learned a, a real ton of from the really great questions that everybody was asking. And I was lucky to be part of, sat on some uh, some lunchtime tables, having some amazing conversations with people. But then when I was wandering around, I could just hear people having these fantastic conversations and i think that is the critical piece here is we're still early on in the emergence of a lot of these tools for use in in marketing and if you think you're too late to the party you're not like but you got mm. but get in now right like start understanding what's going on start playing with the tools start thinking about what you can do with them um there was a great guy at the event called Dan. I'm going to try and get him on the podcast, actually, Martin. He's a bit of a ninja. And he said there are no real experts in this yet. And I think to a certain extent, he was right. I think there's many of us that have done a lot of deep diving, as you and I have, Martin, and have perhaps been following AI for a couple of years. But everything's merging so quickly and things are changing so fast it's important to just get in there and start playing with bits and pieces yourself and obviously to uh, subscribe to the Artificially Intelligent Marketing Podcast so you can get a bit of a leg up and a bit of a head start. Well, I think that's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Anyone that's been doing it for a few years at the moment has a bit of a head start and that's it. But people that immerse themselves in this are going to be able to catch up pretty quickly. Um, tinkering around with these tools, you can you can learn a lot in a very short amount of time. Were there any big takeaways from the event that you think are worth sharing? I think the main one for me is there are there are there's still quite a few people who haven't really played with the tools that much. Although I must say, I thought the event somewhat self-selected for people who had an interest in this and have probably been playing a bit because I had some really cool use cases and I learned quite a lot from what people are doing. Um, I think there's been a fair bit of dabbling with ChatGPT, but people are still just trying to figure out how to get the best out of it and what they can rely on it for, especially in our industry. We showed um, a number of us several examples. We have to do a lot of explaining complex scientific topics and justifying our conclusions with citations. 
And ChatGPT is wondrous at just making up citations that sound absolutely on the nose, but they're not real. And in many cases, that was we were showing live demos almost where that was happening and also live demos where it would combine citations. So it maybe would get the title of the paper right, but the author in the year wrong. And of course, if you can't rely on it for that type of stuff, can you really do anything with it? And I think that was a reasonable question. Um, so I think people are still trying to get their heads around that part. And then at the other end of the spectrum, I think the ninjas now are moving beyond getting half decent at mid-journey and getting half decent at chat GPT. And they're looking at tools like Zapier and other sort of like auto GPT. And they're starting to think, how can I chain actions together to get interesting outputs using Zapier? And I know that Martin, you've talked previously about your application for, you know, recording a bit of audio and then using Zapier to basically get that audio processed, um, transcribed through something like Whisper and then turn into something like a short blog post section or a social post using uh, using ChatGPT. And I think um, I think that's where people who are on the front end of this curve in the marketing area, at least, that's where they are right now, at least from what I could see. Yeah, interesting. Reflects what I think I'm seeing as well. So good to uh, good to know that we're all in the same kind of boat figuring this stuff out together we're all in it together um talking about the things that we're seeing here's some of the things that we're seeing this week so we're going to cover four main stories so we're going to talk about uh, boston consulting group reporting on 91 percent of cmo seeing efficiency gains from ai we're going to dive into that report we're going to talk about some upgrades to chat gpt's api which for those of you who are playing with tools like zapier could actually be important in terms of how much it costs you and what you can now do we're going to look a little bit at some of the legal stuff around this uh, in particular eu parliament's um, act to vote through the eu ai act crumbs don't say that after a cider um and then we're going to look at another report that said that not many people are using chat gpt and that was a report from morgan stanley so we're going to dive into those we're going to do our short snippets in a minute and then we're going to focus on our tool of the week which is Contea and we're actually going to hear from one of Contea's founders in an interview this week and that's how we're going to dive into our tool of the week. So with that let's get cracking on the short snippets because there is a fair few of them to get through this week isn't there Martin. So numero uno is Mercedes-Benz is partnering with Microsoft to integrate ChatGPT into its in-car voice assistant. So I didn't know this but there is already like a sort of hey mercedes type tool in a lot of uh, a lot of mercedes new cars and now that they've got this integration with chat gpt you can have much more natural conversations with with your car <laughs> certainly with your friends as well if you want but if they're not around with your car um, and it will be able to deal with contextual follow-up questions and really manage the natural language elements of that better so that's quite interesting then we had uh um, stable diffusion generated QR codes have gone a bit viral um, this this week using stable diffusion to create custom VR codes, which are basically also quite beautiful images. And this is a quite a big improvement on other attempts, certainly that I've seen to try and make QR codes look more branded or look more attractive. Because in essence, you have like a really gorgeous image, almost with like a QR code hidden in it that you can take a picture of and it will work as a QR code. I My experience has been some of them work well and some of them break really badly, but... Yeah, you same, absolutely. Some of them work, some of them don't. Uh, but they, if they can get that working, 
that was really quite cool because the images look stunning. So to have Amazing. a functional QR code embedded within them is, is if we can get that working consistently, I think whoever commercializes that fine-tuned stable diffusion model will do quite well for themselves. I agree. I bet there is a big old race going on to do just that. I mean, if you're interested in playing with this, you can. There are how-tos on the internet to get stable diffusion running locally um, off your machine, um, not the model, but your access to the model. And then you can get um, instructions on how to tailor your settings to be able to get half-decent QR code type images out of it. But as Martin said, when we get a commercial version of this, all of those technical um, hoops will be removed and we'll all be able to pay $10 a month and crack out as many uh, awesome looking QR codes as we like. So we're excited to see that when it comes around. Meta is making its open source model Llama that we've touched on before on the podcast available for businesses to use and build on top of. So this is quite interesting because uh, Llama is not quite as good as GPT-4, probably somewhere between 3.5 and 4, maybe closer to 3.5 to be honest. Um, but it's interesting because A, it's going to provide businesses with another option to be able to build their tools on top of. But because it's open source, it probably gives businesses a bit more flex in terms of if they have the coding capabilities internally to really play with it. Plus, there's lots of arguments floating around, some of which we've talked about on the podcast, haven't we, Martin, in terms of the ability to see those tools develop really quickly because the open source community are playing with them, expanding their capabilities, making them better and all that stuff. That'd be an interesting one. With that one, do we know if it's um, you have to download the model and, and host it yourself or is it um, is it API access? How much, Do we know anything about how these businesses are going to access it at this point? So the host of a well-researched podcast would absolutely be able to answer that question, Martin, but I cannot. Um, it is a great question. I will accept I... that answer. <laughs> <laughs> we go deep on the main stories. We don't go so deep on the uh, on the short snippets. But that, if you're interested in this, folks, hit the Google bot. I'm sure you're or you're or Bard or oh. ChatGPT <laughs> plus uh, Bing plugin, and I'm sure you can uncover that little bit of extra information. Very important bit of information that mine has just asked about. Then we have Accenture, who has announced a $3 billion investment in AI over the next three years to enhance this team of AI pros so that they can provide AI-focused solutions for their clients. In other words, help companies improve their efficiency and effectiveness across their business using AI. That's all well and good. Personally, I'd probably just hire Martin because he's doing a lot of this stuff already. Martin, give Accenture a call. I think they, uh, I think they need, you, need your help, pal. I'm not sure that their budget is vast enough for my services. No. Day rates are going up by the moment. Absolutely. Um, Get in there early doors, people, before he is at $3 billion a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if you, I have an early bird access offer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lifetime deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's get him yeah, on AppSumo. He loves on AppSumo, yeah. $2.5 for a day. Um I saw that story and thought it was an interesting one from a AI-focused solutions guy. I posted about this on um, LinkedIn separately because I'm getting a lot of uh, people speaking to me at the moment and saying we want to do AI, and I go, okay, well, what's the what's to do what? Like, what what are we looking to achieve? Oh no, we just know that our business needs it, and it's like, oh, oh no, you've done that thing where it's we need AI. You've 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 brought a solution looking for a problem. Um, and I thought, you know, I think we just have to be mindful 
at any kind of scale business that we're not just going AI, 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 shiny thing, shiny thing. No, not AI, AIO. AI, AIO. Is it all? I know that people... my two year old too long. I, I'd be willing to argue that your two year old is probably more socially dexterous than me and probably has a better sense of humor. <laughs> um, but um, you actually did a social post, didn't you? I saw this week on this as it's relating to, you know, have a have a business use case where you can see AI can provide a benefit rather than thinking, well, let's put AI in our business. Well, an example of that is someone came to me a few weeks ago. We the, This was off the back of a conversation we'd had following a conference uh, talk that I'd done, and they said, well, we really want to introduce AI and sat down with them and they didn't need AI. They just needed to use the marketing automation tools that they already had and they needed to use them better and more effectively than they are doing. Didn't need AI. It needed some fairly simple automation. Yeah. I think there's a there's an education gap. I think so. I think you're right. And I think there's probably a walk and then run aspect to it as well because uh, because of examples like you just gave. But right, let's crack on through these short snippets. We The next one we have is uh, GPT-4 outperforming humans in pitch deck effectiveness, apparently. So Clarify Capital asked 500 investors and business owners to rate pitch decks created by humans um, on their own or with ChatGPT's help. And overall, the investors said that GPT-generated pitch decks were on average were about two times more convincing and that they were three times more likely to invest after reading a GPT-4 pitch deck than a human one, which is uh, interesting. My takeaway from there was GPT-4 augmentation is going to help you do a better job if you ask it the right questions and you use clever prompts. But I think the human in the loop there is probably a little bit more critical than the report suggested. Um, Martin is nodding for our listeners, and that's because he likes to agree with me occasionally, but not that often. Um, right. Next one is generative AI could add $4.4 trillion, trillion dollars annually to the global economy, according to a McKinsey report. And according to, I think I found this in the Neuron, which is a great newsletter for those that love their AI, more than, this is more than the annual GDP of Canada, Australia, and Spain combined. So we, uh, there's uh, some large hope there that we're going to get some economic, positive economic impact from using AI. Um, where exactly that sits would be a good question. Next little story is AI bringing John Lennon's voice back to life. So um, we've got a quote here from Paul McCartney. Um, so this is not a someone in their bedroom thinking, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a cool tune and we'll get John, John Lennon on it. Um, it was actually because, and here's the quote, when we came to make what would be the last Beatles record, it was a demo that John had that we'd worked on and we'd just finished it up and it'll be released this year. We were able to take John's voice and get it pure through this AI so that then we could mix the record as you would normally do. And it's because they had this recording on like a really old cassette tape and it sounded awful and they were able to clean it up. So the inference here is it's not quite as sexy this story as it sounds. I think it's more of an AI audio cleanup story than a synthetic John Lennon story. But hey, that means we might get some more Beatles music soon, which is not something that perhaps we'd have ever thought we were going to get. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. And if you think about all of the archive footage that exists across different mediums, whether it be movies, television, uh, audio like this, there'll be loads of it that's just sat there waiting to be 
AI remastered. We've had digital remastering for ages now, but you know, taking it to the next level and, and yeah, think about all of those lost episodes of Doctor Who that all of the Doctor Who fanboys will be wanting to see in glorious AI enhanced Technicolor. Oh, I never thought about that. We could use Uncrop to turn Star Trek The Next Generation from 4.3 into widescreen. That is a, that is a neat use case. <laughs> could you imagine? I would love to see its interpretation. Um, but yeah, that would be quite a good way of actually turning 4.3 content into 16.9, right? I never really thought about that. Um, moving swiftly on, but into a somewhat similar story, Meta has just open sourced the king's queens of open source meta thank you so much well what they've open sourced this time is their ai powered music generator called music gen which has been trained on over twenty thousand hours of music and it can turn text descriptions into short audio clips and it can even be guided by reference audio that you give it now we've talked previously about google having done a fair bit of work in this space but the key difference is meta's tool is open source so people can start playing with it improving it expanding it a la llama, llama a la, something like that. Um, so that's pretty cool news as well. Then we've got LinkedIn introduces AI powered tools for marketers. So now you can get copy suggestions within your campaign manager when you're building out bits and pieces like uh, headlines and copy for your for your ads and for your sponsored posts and those types of things. And then finally, we may be getting some more chat, chat, chat GPT new features because there's been a leaked screenshot which shows something called workspaces, which would allow users to create a profile for themselves that chat GPT can readily remember. And it also looks like it might hint at being able to upload files directly into chat GPT. I saw this was doing the rounds in some various discord groups and on Facebook groups and, and just in the AI enthusiast community. I couldn't track the source of it though. Have you any idea where it came from? I just I just saw it doing the rounds. Yeah, I've seen it floating like you've seen it floating. I mean the, the screen grab itself looks pretty sort of real, but then of course that wouldn't be hard to, to knock up. Um it's, it would seem a weird thing to try and fake. Like it's it's interesting, and I think if you use chat GPT, you might go, hmm, I can see that that might make a few things easier. But it's not like um, you know. Donald Trump being wrestled to the ground by 20 police officers. You know, you can see why someone produced that fake image. But um, but yeah. Right, let's get into our main stories then, Martin. First one's with you, and it's Boston Consulting Group reporting 91% of global CMOs see enhanced efficiency from generative AI for marketing. So what was it in this story that grabbed your eyeballs? I think it's interesting that we're starting to see the big consulting groups really make a lot of noise about this. We've got, I think, um, well, we've got several of them mentioned uh, on this very episode because we've got uh, McKinsey, we've already mentioned, we've got BCG, and actually later on, um, another big player, maybe not a consulting group, but Morgan Stanley uh, featuring as well. This one was interesting that it was 200 uh, CMOs surveyed from across uh, across. Europe, Asia, and North America, 91% said that they are seeing enhanced efficiency from generative AI and that it had positively impacted their work. That was 93%. Uh, 70% have already adopted generative AI for marketing, 
Uh, and overall, there was some interesting takeouts. BCG, uh, they said that generative AI will be key for CMOs to gain competitive advantage through agility, innovation, and responsibility. In fact, there's a particular uh, phrase. They said, uh, BCG research indicates that CMOs are overwhelmingly optimistic and confident about the power of generative AI to enhance productivity and create competitive advantage. Um, so overall, CMO, CMOs are, on the whole, using this new technology. Uh, they're seeing efficiency gains. I think that reflects my <laughs> my experience of it and, and yours too, which is why we do this podcast, because we're so excited by the potential of it. Um, the report goes on to say that while optimism is high, so 91% seeing enhanced efficiency, the impact depends on how meaningfully and ethically the generative AI will be applied. So CMOs can't see this as a magic bullet to enhance human judgment and creativity. Again, I think reflecting what we say so common, uh, so frequently on this podcast, which is human in the loop, you can't just outsource this and expect uh, that AI is just going to get it right every time. Uh, so yeah, I thought there were just some interesting headlines there. The BCG did recommend there were a few recommendations in there, which were could be summarized as start experimenting, which exactly reflects your experience of uh, the conversations you were having with people at SAMPS. Yeah. Uh, seek transformational outcomes. Uh, establish enterprise-wide models and implement responsible AI guidelines. That last point, I think, is critical here. At the moment, there are, you know, it's something of a kind of wild west. We see some companies banning people from using generative AI, like Samsung, for instance, was famously reported as banning people from using uh, chat GPT. In fact, if, just before we... Um, started recording today i saw a headline i haven't delved into this at all it was literally just the headline google are telling or advising employees not to use bard for the what? same reason that um yeah i haven't looked into it but I, i'm guessing it's for the well that's a funny one to me because i'm like well surely you own the model and it's your staff but anyway we we can dig into that one in next next week's episode i think but back to the point um in this recommendation implement responsible ai guidelines we've signposted it before but the marketing artificial intelligence institute have published via creative commons the basically the responsible ai usage manifesto and they've published their version of it uh, and they've said to people look take this as a kind of template that you can play around with you can edit you can make your own and i would highly recommend that organizations do that because having some uh, some rules and some guardrails around what your organization will and will not do when it comes to using ai uh, will be invaluable particularly when all employees have got access to things like chat gpt just at their fingertips yeah i agree i think my big fear with this i put a post on the socials today about it is that we don't just trigger 
an ever-growing avalanche of crap content because we can just produce things at massive scale without really thinking about them and we just churn 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 because it's already getting to the point where if i need to see you know another blog post on the five ways to op- optimize the header of a landing page like I, j- I don't need any more of those in my life um and we'll get to the point i suspect where a lot of these tools i choose a marketing example there but like we'll be answering those types of practical questions perhaps in a lot of cases so i think we're i really hope people use this to lean into producing really good content at scale where there's still quite a bit of time and thinking that has to go into the actual planning of it and chat gpt and other tools just help with the execution of it once we've done it rather than the temptation to just churn 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 because I think everyone's just going to, it's going to be get, it's going to be harder for any of us to get through with content if we overuse it as marketers and just turn everyone off to the content we're producing. Yeah. And there's definite wins that in the near term organizations can have. Just this week, I was speaking to a, a an associate and they were telling me about um, someone, an organization that they were working with, never done any content marketing in their life, literally overnight, uh, I think it was 20 blogs appeared on their website after they'd been introduced to chat GPT and within a number of weeks, 25% of lift in traffic. So, you know, there are near term wins and you can see when that incentive is there, people are going to do it. People are going to churn, 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 but you know, this is not a long-term strategy. No, no, I, I think if you ask, if you ask yourself the right questions, if you really understand your audience and you think about what information that they need that they can't easily find and chat GPT helps you formulate your ideas, package it into some coherent prose that then you edit and tweak so it's in your voice and and doesn't carry through any errors that chat GPT's introduced or you know, you put the extra time and effort into really expand on a point that you understand and chat GPT clearly didn't. I've got no problems with that. I just yeah marketers in my experience ruin everything through mass overuse and i think we gotta be careful but we shall see how that plays out right next story is big upgrades to ChatGPT's api so OpenAI have released updated versions of gpt4 and gpt 3.5 turbo with um new technical capabilities so things like function calling larger uh, longer larger context windows and lower pricing so function calling allows developers to describe functions to the models which can then return json to call those functions so this enables connecting the models to external tools and apis to be much more reliable and easier to do they so were, it's going to they were very excited about that and loads of developers are very very excited about that in fact i saw one developer saying that People have been asking for a kind of watered down version of this and they've gone above and beyond the delivery. So yeah, expect some really cool innovations for from app developers in this domain. Agreed. And one would imagine much faster development because they won't have to think about clever and complex ways to try and get their information in and out of ChatGPT. It's going to actually be much easier to do now. Yeah, and I think actually from an end user's perspective, going back to a theme that we bang on about, we probably won't even notice when when apps are using this now because they'll just be making all of these different API calls, connecting different tools, and it'll just be happening in the background. Yeah, and yeah. 
yeah, so just expect the tools that you use every day to just extend in their functionality and you won't even notice that it's chat GPT doing its thing in the background. Yeah. So um, GPT 3.5 Turbo is getting a greater context window, so up to 16K context. I think it was, I think the standard version's at like 4K, so that's like a big leap. Um, you do have to pay more, that's double the price, but you can do a lot more when you can send a lot more information. Um, the classic use case for you and I, Martin, is pushing long files like large ta transcripts and other very long documents to it to maybe ask it to summarize or whatever. The, um, the, and the token price as well is actually still pretty cheap on um, on particularly 3.5. The, the token price is, is really cheap. Less so on GPT-4, that is still a bit pricey. Yeah, and we've, but we've got 32K context coming to gpt4 more um beyond i know people have been struggling to get hold of this i do think they've provided it to some very developers. very small amount i think it's one yeah. of their priorities isn't it to get it rolled out very quickly in the coming weeks they're talking about yeah i mean and that is super cool right because that's even double the massive increase that we just described for 3.5 and again it will allow developers to send lots more information to to have chat gpt to do summarizations and we've got a workflow here at biostrata where we summarize we take the transcript from this podcast and we have to cut it up into multiple chunks so we can feed it into different tools to be able to get different summaries because it can't handle the whole transcript because you and i talk too much martin so the transcript is too long whereas with this nice big context that would be would be different so there's a load of other stuff here as it relates to other little tweaks but in essence some more functions that are going to be really really powerful developers some more context so you can send more information in in one go which is super helpful for a number of applications we'll talk about in a moment and also in many cases it's a bit cheaper to do certain aspects as well why is this important for marketers so outside of all of the developer benefits which then translate into benefits for us and let's be honest a huge amount of the tools that are being produced at the moment are a perfect fit for business people especially marketers and sales folk, but probably marketers above all else. So I'm probably looking through my own very specific window on the world, but that's definitely what I see. The other thing is we talked at the beginning of this podcast about where are people on the front end of this wave going and they're going towards building their own integrations with tools like Zapier where they don't need to be able to code, but they've got an idea for something that they need to be able to do. And that means access to the open ai api that means you're pushing information into whisper to get transcripts or you're pushing information into into chat gpt to do different things and so whenever the context window gets bigger or the cost gets less or the or there becomes wider access to gpt4 and its wider context window that's cool things that those people who are experimenting with automation tools like zapier and there are others available if zapier you do want to sponsor the podcast you'd be very welcome um they can do cool things even cooler than what they're doing now so if you're looking to get on the front of that wave um i think these are the types of things that perhaps you could get excited about and start playing with right next story is eu parliament votes through the eu ai act martin this caught your eye this week what were your thoughts well, we've been following this one over a number of weeks now. We knew that the EU had brought forward the AI Act. They're trying to be a, a global leader in this uh, domain. Um, the EU Parliament has actually approved the draft 
for the AI Act. This was on uh, June 14th. So now they are basically setting the uh, negotiating position for for the parliament. A few kind of key features from the act. The law includes a ban on police use of live facial recognition in public places. So they can't be uh, using cameras to tag who is in a crowd. Um, MEPs will now negotiate with EU countries to finalise the law, which will come into place in three years' time, 2026. The rules will regulate all sorts of different AI uses, not just marketing like we talk about, but everything from medical AI, drones, deepfakes, chatbots, large language models, and more. And it really takes this risk-based approach so that, um, you know, an AI model that is making uh, healthcare funding decisions for an individual will be higher risk versus an AI chatbot that tells you when the cinema times are in your local area, things like that. A couple of interesting observations in the Guardian reporting of this. So the, the act passed very comfortably. I think it had 499 in favor of it and fewer than 100 against. But there were said to be some uh, a collection of MEPs from the far right who were going to vote against it because of the restrictions on it, such as being able to use live facial recognition uh, for the police. They, they want more biometrics, surveillance. They want more capabilities to, to clamp down and identify people in a crowd. Um, yeah, so who would have thought that the far right would want to be overly aggressive and fascist in their approach to managing society? Um, that's all I've got on that, really. I was... Um... I was taken by the emotional recognition tech aspect of the story um, for workplaces and schools and uh, and how you're not allowed to use it and thinking, um, I don't really need that for this podcast because I can see how much fun you're having, Martin. It's written all over your face. I don't need AI to tell me about that. But isn't, um, yeah. I mean, isn't that a creepy bit of tech though? I mean, I it really gets my, it makes me recoil the idea of an employer having emotion recognition technology in the workplace you imagine this a, a biostrata just coming in one one morning and just doing a quick analysis on the state of the room just from people's facial expressions i know actually the technology itself junk the facial recognition and emotional detection is so culturally specific that it's um it's similar to the gpt detection tools that are on the market at the moment that have too many false positives and false negatives um, right. it's very similar to that at the moment the emotional detection is not in any way uh commercial ready cool sounds like my emotional intelligence as well to be honest i wouldn't say that's commercially ready <laughs> not ready for public consumption no no but i but i am almost certain that you're having a good time because you've got a big smile on your face and i do believe it's real um talking about something else that may or may not be real little segue that as you're going to see dear listener doesn't make any sense at all is into our next news story so we um th there is this report here from morgan stanley that there aren't actually that many people using chat gpt 
So this speaks to what we were talking about a bit earlier, Martin, in terms of when you're inside the bottle, you can't read the label. When you're inside baseball, you know, you know, you know the inside bits of it. But I think sometimes you can forget what the rest of the world looks like. So according to a Stanley, uh, Morgan Stanley survey of 2000 people, only 19% had used ChatGPT and only 9% had used Google Bard. Uh, and the majority of people not using chatbots were unlikely to use them in the next six months, which is interesting, right? It's like, I haven't used them, not going to use them. Next. Um, which is fine. Chatbot services were mostly being used for learning about new topics. Early adopters commonly were using chatbots for researching products, comparing prices and shopping. Which uh, I just on that point, I did yeah. the other day. So I've bought a new um, PC for you know, things that people need PCs for. And I, I no, I'm not, I've not bought a new computer, certainly not one that had any kind of decent spec on it, a desktop at least, uh, for ages. I had very little idea about, you know, what's the best GPU, blah, blah, blah. And I used Google Bard to give me the rundown and it was brilliant. It was, it was so effective. The whole experience of it was an absolute pleasure because I had just enough knowledge about the subject matter. I understood, you know, I understand things like what a processor is for and what RAM is for and hard drives and GPUs. But I don't know if you tell me that this one versus this one and just give me the numbers and the names of the models, you know, the Ryzen 7 versus the, I don't know what, I'm, I haven't a clue. So being able to just kind of stick in the specs for different computers and go, this is what I need it to do. Which of these is going to be the kind of best one to do it? Um, it worked brilliantly. I was I was very impressed with with my expe experience there. Sorry, that was just a little tangent about how I buy things now. No, but I think that's useful because I haven't really used it for that yet. And of course, that is eventually going to be probably what our normal search experience looks like, especially when it comes to product exploration. So, I hadn't really thought about Bard as being a good way of testing a little bit what that would be like. Of course, it doesn't have a load of the other things that we expect to see in in Google's generative search experience in terms of ads on the side and all that other stuff. But yeah, I think I'll I'll have to have a play with that. So um so yeah, I mean this is a data point in terms of a sea of data points and it's a little bit like there are lies, down lies and statistics because you can read one report and ninety percent of people have tried chat GPT. You can have another one and only 20% odd have and don't intend to ever touch it again. So I'm sure there's an, a, a massive aspect of who you ask, what they do, how old they are, how tech savvy they are, et cetera, et cetera, to this. But certainly there's still a decent chunk of the population who've, who are not as exposed to this as perhaps sometimes people like Martin and I might feel they are. What do you say, Martin? Yeah, I think that if, if you take the um, the Boston Consulting Group one that we saw earlier with the 90, 91% that said they'd used it, you know, that that's a self-selected audience, isn't it? Well, not self-selected, but it's a very specific audience that are living in this world of, of tech and data. If you're a CMO, you've got to be aware of, you know, how are you going to get that competitive advantage and people are going AI, 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 left, right, and center. So you're bound to have had a bit of a dabble with it because if you're not, your competitors are. If you take a snapshot of 2000 people, in the world, just like a general, right, you know, whoever you are, you could be a you know, delivery driver for UPS, you could be a primary school teacher, you could be this, that, or the other. Your world isn't 
you know, looking for that competitive advantage. So what, where's the urgency to try these tools? I'm sure you'll get that they will get to people at some point, particularly when Copilot and things like that roll out. But yeah, it didn't come as a massive surprise to me. Um, I, I do the, the workshops with business owners increasingly over the past 12 months more and more people a higher percentage of people attending the sessions are using them however i did a workshop the other week 20 people in the room and still four of them even though the session was was called mastering chat gpt and generative ai four of them had never used chat gpt not right. even they were looking to develop a lot over the course of that session <laughs> um i think the other thing here is and i haven't gone that deep into the uh, the bcg report but i also can imagine a world in which you your bcg you assume that cmos are all over technology developments and so you ask a cmo uh do you how how do you think generative ai will impact the efficiency of your organization from not very much through to uh massive enhancements i don't see many cmos going sorry sorry generative what chat gpt what so I just, I think there might even be some aspects of that, that by definition, you know, assume some level of knowledge that may or may not be there. I'm sure it is there because I do think it's their job, like you described, Martin, but, you know, surveys are only as good as the people that you survey and the questions that you ask, which probably sounds a little bit obvious, but when you actually dive into deep, dive deep into what happens when you get either of those things wrong, or you accidentally bias a certain research project in a certain way you can pretty much prove whatever you like but um hey it's good to get these bits of information and just get a feel for what you know what people are saying and what people are seeing in the market and try and get a, a cross-section of all these different things right that's our stories for the week our tool of the week as we mentioned is Contea, but a little bit of a special one this week we're going to hear directly from sven who's one of the co-founders of Contea, who caught up with martin in an interview earlier this week. Hello, Sven, and welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, we connected on LinkedIn after uh, you introduced us to your app, which is, uh, am, am I pronouncing it right? Conti.ai, or have I, have I got that wrong? Is it the British... Uh, love of a cup of tea that is throwing me off there. It definitely is. We are thinking about that quite a lot. So obviously we're both Germans, right? And we were searching for a name like, oh, we're going to name this. And we came up with the name Contea, which is like kind of a mixture between content and EA, which is like in our understanding, like emotional intelligence or like artificial intelligence, like a mixture of those two. So the coffee throw all of those three things together, we come up with the name Contea. But we're thinking like, but how is a British speaker going to, or like an English speaker going to pronounce this? And we didn't know, but now I know. I actually uh, pronounce it out, Conti. Uh, so I did say Conti. I actually think it would be Conti, yeah. Um, but but Conti was the first thing that I saw when I uh, when I logged into the system and you sent me the link. So um, uh, that was, I was one of the questions I had for you was where did the name come from? So that makes a great deal of sense. I like the um, the emotional intelligence side of that. Um, we can mm -hmm. dig into that uh, in, in a moment. But before we get into that, um, tell us about the tool and and what it does. First, I might start by saying that 
both Nico, my co-founder, and I, we are both copywriters. So we earn our bread, our our money by kind of transporting ideas from people into written text. And when this whole JetGPT thing went down, like that was like a big move in going through the copywriting scenes. Like everybody was like walking, uh, running around like headless chicken, right? Like, oh my God, we're all going to be substituted by this AI thing, what whatnot. So Rigrata took a different approach and we were thinking, all right, so you can't stop this avalanche of technological advancements. So the only thing you can do is try to use it. So we started experimenting of how to use it to become better copywriters. And this is how we eventually ended up with Contea. So what Contea does is it helps you to create LinkedIn contents in up to 10 times of the speed of like just writing it. And how it works is this. Contea creates customized questions for you. So for example, you saw you already logged in and you tried it out. It generated questions about your specific business. Those questions then you get into your um, your interface and you can answer them through voicemail. Because in our experience, talking about something is pretty easy, but writing it down, this is the difficult part. And this is exactly the part that Contea takes over. So you talk something into it, you give it your input, and then our tool takes your input and puts it into perfectly coherent and concise LinkedIn posts which doesn't only have your expertise in it, but, and more importantly, your tonality. So your specific words. Because many people now use JGPT to create LinkedIn contents, but this content is just very generic and doesn't sound like you at all. It doesn't have your words, it doesn't have your expertise. And with Contea, we can help you to create content which actually sounds like you and transports your expertise. Yeah, I must say I tried the the platform and that was one of the things that really stood out for me was, um, first of all, using it was very, very simple. You know, you hit record and then you start talking, but in the output that it gave me, it was very reflective of the language that I use, not kind of verbatim because in the way that I was the kind of uh, chain of thought when you're talking is a bit all over the place, maybe a bit rambling, it, it, it tidied it up, but it kept the prescient points. And I, I really like that. So was it your experience as a copywriter through doing the kind of background research when you work with a client, you have to sit down, you interview them, you you dig into that. Was that what kind of led you down this path then? Just thinking about that workflow? 100%. So as a copywriter, what we try to do is we want to sound like the clients, but better. This is basically what describes our job. And there are many IT, uh, many artificial attention tools out there, but they never really did this job. And I think what qualified us to do so, to create a tool which does, as you said, like kind of reflect your, your tonality is that we understand the foundations of copywriting and we were able to implement those foundations of copywriting through our prompts. So what you can't see, obviously, because it's all in the back ends and it's kind of like we try to keep it secret, right? Our, our prompts, because they're very complex and it's not just like a, write a LinkedIn post based on this transcript. They are huge. Those are huge prompts where we try to put all of our expertise of copywriting 
into them. Like for example, write it concise, but also try to keep it colloquial and so on and so on. So yeah, I think to come back to your question, if this is what, like this is basically what we try to do, like to take our job, what we do as copywriters, like trying to understand who the person is we're writing for. We tried our best to put this into a um, tool, which of course we didn't succeed completely. So like, it sounds like you, but not 100%. It gets you 8% of the way, but the last 20%, you still have to edit the post a little bit. You have to make it a little bit more personal, but we're trying to get as close to the 100% authenticity as possible. Yeah. And I think that's general good advice for anyone using any generative AI tool at the moment, right? You they take you so far, but they're never going to get you wholly over the line. You still need human in the loop. And that's something we talk about on the show quite what a lot. Is this isn't something that we're, we're fully outsourcing. Um, so in, from a marketing perspective, then what are the marketing use cases? What could our listeners do with Conteya that, that would help them, uh, in their, in their marketing role? So this is a very interesting question because I can't give you a clear answer on that because we're still figuring that out or rather our customers. So the use case that we had in mind is for like small business owners, like me, for example, or like somebody who has like some kind of consulting, whatever, he doesn't have a big team. And that person wants to create awareness on LinkedIn, wants to create LinkedIn posts, but is struggling with it because first of all, you have to come up with the ideas, at least three or four a week, and then you have to find the time to write them. And this is very difficult. So our use case that we had in mind is that those small business owners, they get the tool, they get their questions, they reply them through voicemail and within five minutes, they have the post ready for a week. So this was our use case. And this is what we thought that people can, and what people actually can do with it. Now, however, we get a lot of messages from agency owners. Or other copywriters say, look, I want to use this tool to scale my own work with my own clients. So what we're doing right now is we're building kind of like an surface level interface, like a kind of a login for the agencies where they have all of their clients in one interface. So this way, basically agencies can use our tool to automatize most of their work, which is their clients get automatic questions. They get a first draft, as we said, I guess 80% of the way it gets you there. But then those agencies, they can still go into those generated posts of the clients, fit a little bit with them, change them a little bit to make them 100% authentic and then post them. So this is basically the second use case we are now working on. So either you are a small business owner and you want to create LinkedIn content for yourself or you are an agency and you want to use it to scale your work, basically. Yeah, I love that second use case. The the agency model, having worked agency side and consulted on many, many, uh, you know, B2B clients, quite technical, you know, working with clients that are in the manufacturing and engineering space. I don't have that expertise, but I know the questions to ask. So I can sit down, record an interview with them, hand that transcript over to a copywriter and get them to extract the detail having that in an interface is lovely which which kind of takes me to to one of the big talking points that we have regularly on the podcast which is you know 
AI and particularly generative AI and these models are now um, being baked into all of the tools that we use everywhere. And the, the real difference maker for me in terms of what makes a tool um, really excel or, or, or gives a tool maybe the, the best chance of surviving and thriving in the kind of tech startup SaaS world is UX. If you can give somebody that user experience, which, you know, there, there was so many copywriting tools over the past couple of years since GPT-3 came out and made API access available. Many companies launched. Some of them have reached unicorn status with basically putting a front end on to GPT-3 and DaVinci, right? That's that's kind of what they've done. Yeah. The, that's not going to sustain, right? ChatGPT has pulled the rug from under them. Like you can go into ChatGPT and say, write me a meta description and it will write you a meta description. What you've done is interesting because you've taken multiple different AI models and technologies and modalities. So you've taken audio uh, as well and put this into a very simple, easy to use workflow. Just tell us a bit about the, you know, without giving away the secret sauce, I'm sure you're not going to tell us what yeah. you're using and what have you. Tell us a bit about the, the AI technologies that you're using and, and how you've kind of built that stack. This is very interesting, and as I can prejudice, we get quite a lot. So, how you what you're basically doing is you're just using GPT four to write some copies. The interesting thing is, so first we we try to build that whole thing no code because we're both no developers. So I'm a copywriter one hundred percent. I've I know about words, but I have no idea about numbers. Like this is not my expertise at all. <laughs> However, my co-founder, Nico, luckily he worked as a web developer, so he has some ideas about like, uh, front app development, uh, developing and stuff. But we tried to put that whole thing, like set it up, no code, which in the beginning we did through a five or six step process on Zapier, which is basically you have a recorder that gets re uh, recorded, that goes through a transcription tool, which we changed by now to Whisper. We'll probably get into that later. And then basically goes to OpenAI, like GPT-4 integration, and it writes the post. By now, that whole process is not on SAPI anymore, but on N8N, which is like an equivalent, but it gives us more um, variables. Like you can actually code in the tool, so we have way more possibilities of integrations. And the whole step, which you don't see, is like from hitting records to your finished posts, is a 50-step process which runs through in the backends. And OpenAI are only two of them. So like the whole process now is huge. And even for me, like it's so hard kind of like to figure something out. I was like, I'm just asking like a voice into Nico, like, yeah, I just saw there's another step. Like, what the fuck is this actually doing? You know, he's like kind of going to detail and I have no idea what he's talking about. But basically most of the functionalities right now are all like, kind of on own service. For example, we try to integrate Whispers AI into N8N and Zapier. And I know that you talked about it in previous episodes, but we couldn't get it running. It didn't work. We couldn't integrate the API. Maybe there was like a, a bug in the beginning and that was possible. But basically all of those um, integrations, you know, have to run over an own server. So basically we have like the N8N process, but the recorder, for example, is an own code solution. 
um, that recorder then sends in own uh, like in codes all the information to the API of Whisper. That transcription then goes to Airtable, with, uh, which is basically equivalent to Excel, right? Where all our data is storaged. And then it goes back to um, to OpenAI's GPT-4 to write the whole thing. But yeah, like basically it's like a huge process right now. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because me and Paul have both played with our own zaps using Whisper and, you know, recording a, an mp3 file on your phone and it drops into google drive and then it then it turns into it um and i think what you've done in terms you know that 50-step process and and the 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 layering in of the the copywriting expertise is you know that's ultimately that's the secret sauce isn't it like that's that's where the magic happens so where do you see this this space evolving what's what's kind of um next do you how reliant are you on on new models are you interested to see where we where open ai goes with you know you mentioned whisper that's clearly one that you're using um are you looking at alternatives are you finding that reliable what... so first of all regarding whisper first we used other transcription modules and the good thing about our tool is if we want to change from one integration to another one, the only thing we have to do is change the API. So for example, if we decide that the solution from Bing now soon will be better than JetGPT or like GPT-4, this one click to change for us. So this, we had tried this out. It's not even close. So GPT-4 still is like above all of them, like far ahead. But we very quickly can change them to other solutions. So how do I see this in, uh, evolving? Do you mean like with the the technologies behind or you mean the whole copywriting space? Well, I guess um, either or. The copywriting space is one that I think listeners will be interested in from a, you know, from a marketing perspective. This, you know, how much of this is really going to disrupt copywriters? You, you, you know, you have that experience yourself, you have the industry expertise. Um, what do you think copywriters should be um, should be thinking right now? So, as a roller coaster ride, so when GPT got launched, everybody was going crazy, was going nuts. Like some were saying, okay, this is the, this is the Armageddon, this is the end of copywriting. Others said, like, oh, this is fabulous. We're going to create 10 posts in five minutes. And I think this very quickly cooled down and the realization kind of settled in like, all right, this is not going to substitute copywriting soon because it's unpersonal, it's generic. So I think most copywriters already realize that, but you can't outsource human copywriting just yet. So my advice for copywriters is don't rely on GPT to write some articles because first of all, they're going to be super generic. This won't give you any traction, any expertise, any thought leadership on LinkedIn. This won't build trust with the target audience, first of all. And second of all, going forward, I'm very sure, if not, if they don't really do that, that LinkedIn, the algorithm, is going to punish you for it. So we already know that it is possible to track tools, uh, to track copies which were generated through AI. 
right? They're already like open source websites where you just like you copy paste one post inside. It's like, tell me the chance that this was created by a human being or an AI. And it's very, very accurate. We tried it out. We, uh, we created some posts on JetGPT. We put it into that tool. It gave us a 99% chance that this was created by JetGPT. And I'm very sure LinkedIn is going to implement it at one point because they have an interest of keeping their feet interested. And GPT content is not interesting. It's generic. So it's going to like just like splash. Like it's going to be like boring to be on LinkedIn because everybody is now creating 10 content pieces a day. So I'm very sure LinkedIn is going to find a way to stop this from happening. So relying on GPT, I think is not smart for copywriters to do. What they can do is to make their work easier. For example, what I do with my clients. I get a transcription from a client and I put that in JGPT and I tell me, uh, tell it like, tell me what this post is about. What's the key message here? So this helps me to write a copy. But to actually write the copies, I would not advise to use JGPT. So this is part number one of the answer. Don't rely on it, but use it. Um, because if you don't start now experimenting with it and finding use cases for yourself and how to use it to become better and quicker. Others will do so, and in the end, they will do the same work than you do, but in 10 times the speed. So they also do, are able to do it like in one-tenth of the pricing. And then you are in big trouble. So I think those are the two things you have to be aware of. Don't rely, uh, rely on it, because LinkedIn, very sure at one point, will integrate something like that, that it will filter out and punish your posts, which are generic JGPT posts, but you have to stay on track. Otherwise you're really going to be in trouble. No, I think they're good tips. On the AI detection, uh, there was an interesting article recently about um, OpenAI's own detection um, tool, and it's about 26% accurate. Um, so that is it? Yeah, they, they, so the AI... Even the open source ones, they throw out too many false positives and false negatives. So they miss too many and they tag too many as being as being AI generated when they're not. And on the flip side, they miss too many for them to be reliable. So um, when I've tried them, similarly, I've had experiences where I've put AI copy in and it's a 99% definite. But actually, when you roll that out at, at scale, um, it's, it, they're too unreliable. You can't actually trust them. Um, they're, they're actually quite quite bad so um i think we're safe from that perspective for the time being but uh it's but, i mean ultimately you know this is going to be a big problem for the likes of anyone training a large language model because soon they're going to be training on content written by large language models and they're going to start cannibalizing their own content so um yeah i think they they have to be aware of it and they're going to have to start thinking about well i say start thinking they're, they're well ahead of the thinking on this but it's Finding a solution to identify is, is going to be interesting. I know the they tried the watermarking system as well, and apparently, some yeah. <laughs> tech basically minor edits will just get rid of the watermark completely. Yeah. So. Which is also what we realized with Contea. Like, oh, is it very interesting what you just said? I didn't know that. Like, we just tracked it always and said it's like I do percent, ninety nine percent certainty that it was generated by AI. When we did that with Contea articles, it gave us like a five percent rating on it. So like I said, like no, that was that was written by humans. Just because like probably there were some words which were in those copies because they are coming from transcripts. 
which kind of got rid of that watermark already. So yeah, that's very easy to, to undergo for sure. So, um, about time to, to wrap it up. Where can people go uh, to sign up? The product's still in beta, isn't it? It is still in beta, but now we've rolled it out just today. We kind of open it now for everybody for the open market. So it's very easy to find. You just have to go to get.contea.ai, Contea with EA in the end. And there you can sign up. It's very easy. And this whole thing is a beta version. So everything works already. This is 100% working product. But like every two weeks, we come up with a new functionality or we tweak a little bit to make it a little bit better. So there are constant changes going to happen over the next weeks and months for sure. Great. And is that available with a, a, a one month trial? What's the pricing of it? This is a good question. We thought about giving a like, providing a free trial and we consciously decided not to do it because of AI tools. The problem is that there are like so many AI tools right now. Like you could try another different AI tool every single day. And we kind of wanted to avoid getting a lot of clients to just use it out of pure interest. Like, oh, let's check this out, what this is doing. But we really want to filter out like the people we want are really people who see the benefit of it before using it. So there's no free trial. It is 75 euros, dollar, whatever conversion is the same a month. However, there is a 100% money back guarantee. So after one month you use it and you say like, look, this is not doing what what it's supposed to do. It didn't deliver. Then you just have to uh, contact us and support and you get the money back instantly. Fantastic. Very generous. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast this week. And um, we look forward to getting hands-on with the tool in the future. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to have further conversation maybe with you rather down the line. So thanks very much there to Sven for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate that. That was a fascinating conversation uh, uh, with with Martin there. Learned loads more than I was expecting to, not just about the tool, which is fantastic. Um, so yeah, go and have a little play with Conteo and see if it, if it can uh, help you with some of the things that you're trying to do in your work. I've really enjoyed, uh, today's session, Martin. I hope you have as well. It was a bit of a good one. We got into a few good bits. Yeah. I like the way you describe it as a session, almost like therapy. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe we've got a couple of tinnies on the go here as well. A couple of Budweiser's <laughs> to get us through. I think the listeners are thinking, yeah, I probably am going to need to turn to drink if I to listen to any more episodes of this. This is this is not sponsored, but I'm currently drinking Brewdog um, Elvis juice, but I'm drinking the alcohol-free version, not the 6.5 all-fat version. I like it because you've got to keep it lucid when you're, when you're getting deep into the AI topics, Martin. Absolutely. Well, if you have enjoyed this podcast and it's your first time here, where have you been? But also, please do consider hitting the subscribe button. If there are other people in the world of marketing and or just business folks that you think might benefit from this, please forward it onto them and see if they fancy subscribing. You can catch up with us on the Twitters if you go to our handle, which is AI Marketing Pod. Correct. Yes. 15 episodes and he has nailed it and that's all it took imagine what i'll learn over the next 100 episodes how exciting you can also subscribe at artificial artificially intelligent 
where all of these podcasts also live and you'll get an automatic email when there is a new episode live so that you don't even have to remember. And of course, you can subscribe to these on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for your time, Martin. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have a great weekend and I'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. To stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.